Good morning, Journey. Hey, we're in Matthew chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there. Grab your notes out of the inside of your bulletin. Welcome to those of you who are watching us online right now. Turn on your app if you follow along that way. Because two weeks from now, we're going to be celebrating our Christmas Eve services. But 2,000 years ago, we celebrated this day in Bethlehem that we find in Matthew chapter 2. We're in a series this Christmas season called The Gift. Last week, we talked about Christmas being the gift to us. This week, we're going to talk about Christmas being the gift for us as we actually look at the Christmas gifts that were given that first Christmas. And then next week, we're going to look at Christmas and how it can be a gift from us. If you have not already thought about and started extending invitations to people to join you and your family for our Christmas week services, I pray that you will do that because Christmas, when people meet Jesus, becomes the greatest gift from us that we can ever give anybody. But today we go back to Bethlehem, Matthew chapter 2. Let's travel together, verses 1 through 12. We learn about how Christmas is a gift for us. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. They replied, For this is what the prophet has written. And they quoted Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem... In the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they sat with the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Hey, parents, when you look back at the lives of your kids, do you have any times that you would describe like as their terrible twos or maybe their terrible threes? Or maybe they're terrible teens, or maybe they're just awful adult children. Now, as you look, like, is, is there a time where you're like, man, that was a really difficult time to parent? I remember when my son was like three or four years old, and we couldn't get him to, to stop crying without giving him his pacifier, and how frustrated that would make me. I remember driving down the road one day, and it fell out of his mouth again, and he started crying. I remember grabbing it off the seat of the car instead of blowing on it and just putting it back in like we normally did. I rolled down the window, and I threw it out the window while we we're driving down the road and just told Daniel, we're going to deal with this like once and for all. Now, I remember when my little girl Casey was six, and I realized that she could keep her back teeth together and still suck her thumb at the same time, that I said, if you don't quit sucking your thumb, I'm going to cut it off because I'm not going to have the money to afford to fix all of this later. And you say, Christian, are you embarrassed that you said that when she was six? Actually, when I got the orthodontist bill, I was embarrassed that I hadn't said it at three because there was a lot of things that we had to get fixed up to get her um, looking like a normal human being again. There, there were difficult times in our parenting journey. In Matthew chapter two, we see what I call toddler Jesus. We don't see a lot of this in scripture. We don't see a whole lot of Jesus between birth and 30. We get a picture of him at 12, 
But in Matthew chapter 2, we see what I call like toddler Jesus. Not the terrible twos, but toddler Jesus. Matthew chapter 2 was actually set two years after the birth of Jesus. I don't know if you realize that. If you've ever seen a nativity set or had a nativity set that included camels and the wise men at the manger, it's wrong. The camels and the wise men didn't come to the manger. There's hints throughout Matthew chapter 2 that tell us we're a few years maybe now from the birth of Jesus. First, we see in verse 16 that Herod learned that the star had appeared two years earlier. He asked the the wise men, when did the star appear? And it says in verse 16, after realizing that the star had appeared two years earlier, had everyone in Bethlehem two years old and under killed. Herod didn't kill everyone under two weeks old. He wasn't looking for babies. He was looking for two-year-olds that had been born. We see in verse 11 that Mary and Joseph were living in a house. They were not in a stable. The baby was not in a manger. The, the word used for child was not baby. It was a word that was used of toddlers. We know from Luke 2, 4, you say, why were they still in Bethlehem two years later? We don't know for sure. But we know Joseph's ancestry and his possible family were from Bethlehem. We know everyone related to him had to go there um, to, to register for the census, so maybe some of them had stayed. Maybe the drama that had erupted in Nazareth over two kids who weren't married, who were going to have a baby, made them want to maybe stay away for a little longer. We don't know that. We actually can't know the exact time and day. It wasn't December 25th that the Magi came. But what we can know are the exact gifts that they offered. They came somewhere between the 40th day of Jesus' life when he was presented in the temple. We know they hadn't come before then. And two years in Jesus' life. We don't know what day it was. We don't know how old Jesus was. But we know exactly what their gifts were. And Matthew wanted us to know that because knowing the gifts of Christmas helps us know Jesus a lot better. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 again. Because if we were doing a Bible study in Israel 2,000 years ago and we ran across this letter, we would stop at verse 11. And we would talk not just for hours, but maybe for days, not just for days, maybe for weeks. This might be an entire semester of small group study because there's some truth in Matthew 2.11. Listen to these gifts on coming to the house, not the stable, the house. They saw the child, not the baby, the child, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. This was a big deal for Matthew, which is why he wrote it. He's the only one of the writers of the four biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that mentions the wise men or the gifts. But it meant a lot to Matthew, and it meant a lot to the people that Matthew was writing to. Remember, not all four authors of the biographies of Jesus were writing to the same people or even writing the same story. When we look at the audience of the gospel, we realize that Matthew was written to Jewish people to help convince them that the Old Testament Messiah, the guy talked about from Genesis to Malachi, was indeed Jesus. So Matthew was writing to Jews using a lot of biblical truth to prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Mark was written to Gentiles who would not have cared like you don't care that Jesus got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That means nothing to you if you're in here and you don't understand anything about Jewish prophecy. You're like, yeah, big deal. You might be able to name them, but it doesn't move you. Luke was actually written to a Gentile friend named Theophilus. Luke was not writing a book to the world. He was writing a book to his friend. That book ended up being released to the world, but Luke was just trying to help his friend understand who Jesus was. This guy, Theophilus, who worked in the Roman government, he wouldn't have cared about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It would have meant nothing to him. And John was actually the only gospel writer who was writing to Christians. John wrote to second-generation Christians And this wouldn't have meant much to them. Only to Matthew, this 
Jew from 2,000 years ago and his Jewish audience, would this have been a big deal to? And when we understand why Matthew wrote it and what it meant, what we find out is if you really want to understand Christmas, you have to understand these gifts. Because when you understand these gifts, it helps you know more about Jesus. And when you understand these gifts, it helps you know a little more about you. So let's look at two things about these gifts today. First, let's look at the gifts as spiritual symbols. Let's look at the gifts as spiritual symbols because this is certainly what they were. This is what the Magi intended them to be. These gifts were representative of something much, much bigger. What were the gifts? Verse 11. Let's go back. You might underline it. We'll be there five or six times today. It says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you need to know, although these sound like they go together because we've heard the Christmas story, these gifts do not go together. Giving one person gold, frankincense, and myrrh would be like you giving one person at Christmas this year an American Girl doll, the Call of Duty video game, and like a toaster. Like, like those three things, like you would not give those three things like to the same person. Those gifts don't go together. These gifts don't go together. This was not like just the normal registry of Christmas gifts. These gifts were all distinct and they were highly symbolic. Gift number one, gold, was a gift for a king. A king was the only one who would receive a gift of gold at their baby shower, but that's what the Magi brought to Jesus. Do you know that presidency of the United States are not allowed to keep the gifts that are given to them while they're presidents? If you've ever been to a presidential library and toured them, all the gifts that they're given by all the foreign heads of state are actually in their library because they're the possession of the United States government. If a president of the United States wants to keep a gift that's given to he or his wife while he is president, he has to buy it at full face value after he has ceased to be president because they want to make sure that nobody's bribing the president for a time in the future. He's not allowed to accept gifts. And 2,000 years ago, the only way you could really give a gift to a world leader was to give them a gift of gold. When a foreign envoy came and presented a baby with a gift of gold, they were basically saying, we recognize you as a future world leader. We recognize you as a future king. The only person that would receive gold was a future king that would sit on a future throne and do world leadership business together, which means these magi recognized that this baby was one day going to be a king. It's the only thing that it could mean, that they recognized this baby would one day be a king. The second gift was frankincense. Frankincense was a gift that would be given to a priest. By the way, there was never in Israel anyone who was both a king and a priest. They didn't even come from the same place. Kings came from Judah. Priests came from Levites. So, Levites, so we see that these gifts shouldn't have ever been given to the same person. Now, frankincense, here's what you need to understand about frankincense. Frankincense is not the cousin of Frankenstein. Um, frankincense is not the opposite of common sense. You need to look at the words this way. Frank incense. This was the gift of incense. This was a type of incense. Incense was something that priests use, only priests use incense, and only priests use incense in worship in the temple. The only person who would receive a gift of incense was somebody who would one day stand in the temple and do ministry before God on behalf of people. So the Magi were saying, we recognize that this child was, was born to one day stand before God on behalf of people and do ministry. The only reason anyone would give any child incense, frank incense, 
is because they recognize one day this child will stand before God in the temple, before people, and he will do ministry to God. That's why they would have given him frankincense. And then gift number three is the weirdest of all. It's the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was a gift for a dead person. That's what myrrh was. Can you remember like the worst gift that you've ever received for Christmas in your life? This was worse. Like I can. I remember my first year of seminary, my mom and dad for Christmas bought me a briefcase and a fountain pen. Now I think it was a really nice fountain pen, but it was a fountain pen, like for Christmas, like under the tree. And it wasn't that the gifts were bad, but it symbolized for me, I'm now an adult and I don't get stuff. Like I don't get shoes and video games and my favorite football jersey, like this is stuff that like I have to take back to be an adult with. It like changed Christmas forever. Myrrh was worse than that. Here's the gift of myrrh. It's showing up at the baby shower with embalming fluid. It's what myrrh is. Myrrh was a spice only used to prepare a body for burial. Giving a baby the gift of myrrh would be like you giving somebody embalming fluid. It could only mean that the magi believe that the purpose of this baby's life was to die. And there would be something special about his death. The only reason you would give a child myrrh is you're symbolically telling the parents, we understand that this baby is born to die like this special death. And in preparing for life, we also understand he is preparing for death. The gift of gold for a king. The gift of incense for a priest. The gift of myrrh for somebody who would die. You say, man, Christian, what's the deal with all these gifts? That is a weird gift mix. Well, here's what we know from the book of Daniel. We know that these magi, they were students of Old Testament Hebrew prophecy. And we know that Old Testament Hebrew prophecy stated that that the Jewish Messiah or the Jewish Savior would serve as three things. He would be a king, he would be a priest, and he would be a suffering sacrificial servant. According to Micah 5.2, Psalm 110.4, Isaiah 53, he was the only man in the Old Testament who would be said to one day be a king and a priest and a suffering sacrificial servant, which means the Magi's gifts, they symbolize that they believe from their study they were worshiping the promised Savior of the world. These gifts were given symbolizing we understand who you are And what you're going to do for the world. In some way, we are just like the Magi. Because we do the gift thing. Um, Maybe your family doesn't do it, but our church does it. For I think the sixth year in a row, our church has just supported hundreds of kids in the Lee Summit community. Who would not have Christmas if our church did not get gifts for them. Our church is great at giving gifts. Our church is generous at giving gifts. We actually have had people even the last week saying, I know all the gifts were due, but is there any more kids? Is anyone else contacting the church? Does anyone else need help? Our church is great at giving gifts. We're just like the Magi in that. But I wonder if we're just like the Magi in how we worship. Because these gifts were symbolic of some spiritual things. But we can look at these gifts and say, do we worship like the Magi? Because number two, these gifts can also be seen as spiritual commitments. So these gifts can be seen as spiritual symbols. A gift for a king, a gift for a priest, a a gift for someone who will die. But these gifts can also be seen as spiritual commitments. And you today can actually look at your life on December 10th, 2017, and you can say, okay, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which one of these have I presented to Jesus? 
And that actually shows a little bit about your spiritual commitment. Let's look at verse 11 again. We should almost have it memorized by now. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, when we see these gifts as spiritual commitments, we say, tell us what these gifts mean to me and what it shows about my life. Commitment number one, when we give the gift of myrrh, which I think everyone in the room who is a Christian has given Jesus symbolically the gift of myrrh, it means we have accepted the death of Christ in our place for our sin. The gift of myrrh basically says, Jesus, I recognize your role for me is to die. If you're a Christian in the room, you've given this gift. Jesus, I recognize your gift to me is to die, so I'm going to give you the gift of myrrh. I accept your death for me. This shows us to the heart of God. We have a, a nurse in our church who came up to me last Sunday, and she's a Christian. I'm struggling with a family that I deal with. She works in the NICU unit at Children's Mercy. She's got a family um, who she's been working with who's had a very sick child for several months. She's been trying to minister to them, and she's a Christian. They, they basically gave the child a terminal diagnosis. It is not going to live very long, and I just feel more compelled than ever that I need to help this family understand who Jesus is because their little girl is going to die. And she said, the dad's biggest hang-up is Jesus dying. I said, help me understand that. And she said, he just doesn't see how, how a God could die. It doesn't make sense to him that God could die. And he says he could never believe in a God who dies. How do I answer that? And I said, that actually is the easiest question that I've ever had to answer. Go back and ask him this. Would you trade places with your little girl if you could? She's not going to make it till the new year. Would you trade places with your little girl if you could? Because the answer to that question is the answer to how God could die. God can choose to trade places with somebody who he wants to live. God can choose to trade places with somebody who he doesn't want to suffer. God can choose to trade places with somebody who he doesn't want to see their life end so that their life can continue for forever. His answer to that question will be his own answer to his question about God. Because Christianity is giving the gift of myrrh. It's saying, Jesus, I accept your death on my behalf. You know what it is? It's acknowledging sacrifice. When I give the gift of myrrh, I acknowledge sacrifice. I believe Jesus died. I accept that for myself. And if you're a Christian, you, you, like, you've done that. That gift of, has been passed from you to Jesus. We've given the gift of myrrh when we accept his sacrificial death. But there's more than that. You see, when we see gifts as spiritual commitments, commitment number two, we see giving the gift of frankincense. And what is giving the gift of frankincense? It's acceptance of the ministry of Jesus for us and in us. Frankincense says, I understand Jesus wants to do more than die for me. I understand Jesus wants to live in me through his Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to live in the world through me. That's what I understand through this gift of frankincense. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I don't like incense. I actually don't like things that smell. I hate lotion that smells. Every now and then, I'll put on lotion not realizing it smells, and I have a really bad day. I have to wash it off really fast. A few years ago, um, I I was getting ready to preach to a youth group, and my hands were really dry, and my skin was really dry because it was in the wintertime, and I reached into Danielle's purse, and like I took some of her lotion, and I put it on, and it smelled awful. What I didn't realize it is also had like little sparkly things in it. So when I went out to preach, like I looked like a vampire from twilight, like I was shining, like my face and my hands. I was like, okay, no, 
nothing that smells anymore. I, got, I, I don't like stuff that smells. Um, but I like stuff that smells good better than stuff that smells bad. Um, do you have a place in your life or in your past that when you drive by it, you can automatically think of the, like the putrid smell of it? Maybe a dump that you used to pass on your way home. Maybe a factory that put out something that wasn't very good. Maybe that skunk that got killed on your road. Like maybe driving um, down through the stockyards of western Kansas on a hot, windy day. Like you can picture in your mind things that don't smell good, right? Well, my last year of high school and my first year of college, over the summer I worked for the county uh, that I lived in, Ross County, Ohio. I, like I worked for the county road construction people. We, you know, we paved roads, we put in guardrails, we, you know, we mowed, we, we just took care of all the county roads in the county. And on the days when it rained and we couldn't do road constructions, they would send all the college help out to pick up all the large roadkill that was on the road that needed to be removed. Like that was part of our job on the county roads to just make sure there weren't large bloated animals laying around forever. So families would call um, and we'd have to go on the rainy days, we'd have to go pick up these wet drenched, bloated, dead animals, throw them in the back of the pickup truck. And we'd have to take them to the county incinerator. When you grow up in a farm community, there is a large place dedicated to cremating large animals that have died in mass. Um, and I remember driving into that place. It was down a long road to keep the stench away from the road. But you would pull up to this place and there would be piles of animals, big animals, waiting to be put through the incinerator to do away with them. And you can imagine the stench. Like you can imagine that everyone who worked there wore a face mask. You can imagine how we would try to cover our noses as we would unload our cargo onto the, onto the heap of animals that were already there. You can imagine how bad that smelled. That was the temple in Jerusalem without incense. What did they do in the temple in Jerusalem? They sacrificed animals all day, every day. They gutted animals. They laid them on the altars. They left their insides over here till they could remember all day, every day. They were, pay, they were skinning animals, leaving their carcasses, removing them. The temple would have, smell, would have smelled like heaps of heaps of dead animal bodies laying there if it wouldn't have been for the incense that covered it up so that temple ministry was a sweet aroma to God rather than the smell of death to God. That's why incense was used. Because God says ministry doesn't stop at death. But some of you, your spiritual commitment stops there. You have given Jesus the gift of myrrh. You've accepted his death for you. But you do not follow his life for you. And your, war, your life to the watching world stinks spiritually. They look at your life. You, listen, you're a Christian. You, you got the heaven thing figured out. Your past has been forgiven. But your only commitment to Jesus is letting his death be replaced for yours. Your commitment to Jesus is a commitment of myrrh. And you've not invited the sweet smell of his spirit into your life. So your life isn't represented by the death of Jesus, but by the life of his spirit in you. This was the whole process the Apostle Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when he talked about our lives smelling good. Remember this verse, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Paul says we need to go beyond the gift of myrrh and we need to give the gift of frankincense. We need to ask, what is this? This is acknowledging the Holy Spirit. We need to ask God's spirit 
to come take over our lives so we look like him, so we live like him, so we act like him, so we smell like his ministry, so Jesus in us is pleasing to the world, not Jesus in us stinks to the world. This is a commitment level of how much of your life Jesus has, but it doesn't stop there. You see, there is also this commitment, number three, of giving the gift of gold. And some of us today, me included, there are areas of our life where we hold back this pouch before we give it. Because giving the gift of gold is acceptance of the authority of Jesus as king in our life. Here's what giving the gift of gold looks like. If you're done filling in that blank, listen to this. Here's what giving the gift of gold looks like. It looks like this. Jesus, you're in charge. Giving the gift of gold says this. Jesus, you make the call on this decision. Giving the gift of gold says this. Jesus, whatever you say, I will do. You are the king. I am your follower. It's allowing Jesus to have control. It really is true worship. And the reality is everybody at Christmas worships something. And in Matthew chapter 2, we see a bunch of people worshiping Jesus. And then we see somebody worshiping something else. We see the Magi worshiping the Christ. But then we see King Herod worshiping control. And some of us are in here today and we look a little more like Herod than the Magi. The myrrh, we got that. Yes, we, we will accept Jesus' death. Frankincense, yeah. We'll accept Jesus' Holy Spirit in us to make our lives look like him. But gold, that means giving up control. That means letting Jesus be in charge. That means when we look at our sermon notes, acknowledging surrender. That means us saying he is in charge, we are not. And I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. You see, giving the gift of gold lets Jesus be in charge. It says you are the king. You get to have authority. And there's a little part of King Herod in all of us. I don't know what's in your bag of gold. Maybe it like literally is gold. Maybe it's finances where you say, I'm going to give Jesus control of a lot of my life, but not this one because I don't trust this one. Maybe it's your marriage. I'm going to give Jesus control of a lot of areas of my life, but not, I can't do exactly what he says in my marriage. I don't, I'm not sure I'll trust how that'll work out. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Maybe it's some bitterness that's inside of you. Maybe it's your job, your boss. But there's some of you who's saying, I've got this, I've got this thing. I can't give all of this to Jesus because I'm not sure how that would turn out. And it really has more to do with trust than control. And the reality of spiritual growth at Christmas is just being willing to acknowledge us and say, yeah, that's me. I, I spent this week in the mountains of Nicaragua with Pastor Scott with Compassion International, 40 pastors from around America that were learning how to do church planning and mission work um, and child sponsorship in third world countries. And one of the things that we did while we were there is, is we went to these villages and we delivered gifts to families um, who lived in these villages. This is us walking down the road. They, they were lined with sheet metal. Uh, the houses were made out of scrap sheet metal that they could find with kind of cinder blocks on the roof. They said every time it storms, literally the neighborhoods all blow down and they have to rebuild them several times. The World Bank says that this is an area where the average family makes $2 per day. Uh, the dad who works 50 to 65 hours per week will make about $65 per month. It's one of the poorest places on planet Earth. And we were there giving gifts to families. 
We went to visit a family of a single mom named Frances and her three kids and her mother-in-law that she took care of. And when we showed up, they had gone to the market on their $2 a day and bought balloons. And they had made a welcome sign, bienvenidos, to welcome us there to their home with our food and with the medical supplies we were bringing, with the hygiene products we were bringing just to say that we loved you. We got to go inside their house and we got a chance to pray over her and her daughter, Jacinia, and their little daughter, Hosanna, and their little boy, Juan Carlos, who's a Compassion International kid that we got to have the opportunity to sponsor. We gave them their gifts. We told them they were from God. We told them people in America saw their plight and cared about them. But little Juan Carlos, man, like he, he became my guy. As we kind of hung out with him through our interpreter, I get to laugh with him a little bit. And you'll see him there wearing a name tag. That was actually my name tag because he just found it so funny that I was wearing a name tag that said Christian. He thought it was my religion, not my name. And he couldn't figure out why everyone else had their name, but I, mine had to say Christian. And it took me a minute to explain to him, like, like, that's, like, that's my name. That's what people call me. That's what my mom and dad named me because all he knew is that a, like a Christian was someone who followed Jesus. But I felt like God hit me while we were having this conversation. I felt like God spoke to me to speak to this little guy. And I said, well, hang on. I said, like, do you, do you know Jesus? And he said, yeah. Through our, through our interpreter. And I said, do you follow Jesus? And he said, yeah. And I said, then your name is Christian. Like if you know Jesus and if you follow Jesus, you are a Christian. You should wear this because it's my name, but it's your title. You are a Christian too. And I said, I want you to have my name tag. I want you to hang it by your bed. And every time you look at it, I want you to remember that you follow Jesus. And he said, okay. And he smiled great big. But then he began to get like his spirit began to get heavy. Start talking less, start smiling less, and ask our interpreter. I said, what's, what's wrong with Juan Carlos? And she kind of asked him, what's going on? And he looked at his name tag, and he said, tell him that I don't always follow Jesus. Um, and sometimes, the way he said, sometimes I live in the world. So he can have his name tag back if he wants, because I don't always act like a Christian. And I looked at this little 10-year-old boy, Juan Carlos, and I said, tell him that he's going to make a great follower of Jesus because he was willing to admit that. Tell him that I don't always follow Jesus well. Tell him that sometimes I live in the world too. But I'm a Christian because I follow Jesus, not because I'm perfect like Jesus. And I looked at this little 10-year-old saying, I've got some bags of gold that I don't always give to Jesus. So maybe I shouldn't call myself a Christian. And I thought, man, if every adult American had this kid's heart, I can imagine Jesus' Christmas tree would have a lot more gold under it because we would be willing to acknowledge these areas of my life I don't do so good, but I want to. And it's interesting. I came back from Guatemala a few weeks ago, and one of our people asked me, do you struggle on trips that you're not leading? Is it hard to go on a trip when you're not in charge? And I said, no. Like, I actually love going on trips when I'm not in charge. Because you know what happens when you don't have authority? You have freedom. Like if you trust the person that has authority, when you go on a trip and you're not in charge, but you trust the person in charge, you literally don't have to think about anything. It is the most freeing thing ever to do something that you're not in charge of if you trust the person who is in charge. And isn't that what Christianity is supposed to be about? You see, giving the bag of gold to Jesus is not giving up control. It literally is getting freedom. Giving up authority does not lead to fear if you trust Jesus. It leads to freedom if you trust Jesus. 
And this Christmas season, I know if you're a Christian, you're all in with the myrrh. Like all in, all day, every day. Yes, Jesus, I will accept your death for me. I know most days we're in with frankincense. Yes, Jesus, I want you to guide my life and I want my life to help people think well of you. I get that. But I know there's a lot of areas where we're hanging on to our bag of gold saying, man, Jesus, I don't know if I can give you that. I don't know if I can make you king in this area. I don't know if I can make you king of my finances. I don't know if I can make you king of my family. I don't know if I can make you king of my calling. I don't know if I can make you king of my business. I don't know if I can make you king of my emotions. I don't know if I can make you king of my past. I'm not sure how that will work out. That's not a control issue. It's a trust issue. And the Magi basically said, we're not even sure how this whole king thing's going to work out because like, that guy's still in charge, and I think he wants to kill us, but we're pretty sure that you're the real one. So we're just going to trust and have freedom. And if you're here today and you're holding back this Christmas season, the tension that Jesus wants you to go through this Christmas season is the tension of giving him the gold, of giving him the areas that you've not released control of yet and trusting him with those so you can live in freedom. Will you do that? Will you consider that? Will you pray with me while we do those things?